Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I'm really happy to have a few comments to read today. Uh, This one comes from Indiana, the state of Indiana here in the United States. It says, hello, JBL. I enjoyed hearing the young people's opinions about reading and electronic media. I also wanted to thank JBL for kindling a long, dormant pastime of reading for me. Now, I bustle when I hear people say they don't have enough time to read. As a 60-plus person and still work outside the home, I carry books with me all the time. I have started reading a few books at the same time, which causes me to really think deeply and organize my thoughts. I recommend JBL to all I come in contact with. I am a library reader, too. I will say I am having a hard time reading Hero. I am 130 pages into it and looking forward to his leadership and fighting. How big was his head? Okay, so I, I enjoyed getting that one, and we'll be talking about um, Hero here in just a few weeks. So here's one more comment. Again, this is another great one. It says, Dear JBL, my mother and I have been listening to your program. We appreciate and love it. You make it so interesting and are very easy to listen to. Both you and Mrs. Leap are giving us great insight on the lives of both George and Martha Washington and the contributions that they made for the establishment of our country. They sacrificed and gave so much. We are learning a lot, and we did not know that before. Thank you, and keep up the good work. And that is from, actually, Arkansas. So I'm very happy to hear that. Well, the last time the 60-plus panel was together, we were discussing the personal, supreme, and sacrificing effort which both George and Martha Washington devoted to the Revolutionary War and the founding of the government of this great nation. Now, Paul Johnson gives us some details on the George side and, of course, Patricia Brady on the Martha side. And uh, really, when you look at it, the Washingtons were a team devoted to each other and to this nation. Now, just watching the news the last couple of days, many of the negative issues they had to deal with, well, the cabinet infighting, especially between Jefferson and Hamilton, the partisanship in the government, the congressional infighting, is just repeating itself in America today. It was a real fight for George and Martha to help found this nation, but now it seems there is a real fight to keep the nation alive, and not many seem to be concerned. But I think if we continue to read early American history, um, uh, it does reveal where America is heading. And, of course, it's heading for some dark times unless we get things turned around, and I mean like immediately. Now, the government structure that was carefully built that has served the United States for over two centuries is really being systematically destroyed. And at this point, it really does seem very unlikely that it is too late to turn it all around. So what I want to do is I want to highly recommend that you read and study Chapter 6 of Paul Johnson's book again. And not only does it show the incredible stress that our first president had to endure 
to secure America's government, I think it also will give us some sensitivity to the stress that our current president must be enduring to try and keep everything on track. And so uh, I think I think it would be very good for you. Now, today, we have the 60-plus panel back together, and what we want to do is we want to finish our discussion on the final days of George and Martha Washington. So welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. Good to be here. Oh, yeah, it's always good to have you around. Of course, uh, you're around me a lot, <laughs> but I, uh, it's nice to have you on the radio. So let's talk about the final years of George and Martha. I know this is, if you have a Kleenex at home, you may want to get it out. <laughs> because as uh, one person said, when you read every biography in the end, they die. So, <laughs> so, so we do have to talk about the death of George and Martha. So go ahead. I'll let you, I'll let you lead off with it. Well, there, there was one thing I thought was interesting, and actually uh, Patricia Brady brings it up at the beginning of the book, but it, it does talk about after George dies. She says that, that after, I'm going to quote um, page one of the, the Brady book, after her husband's death, to keep their private life safe from inquisitive eyes, this is Martha, she destroyed all 41 years of their correspondence. Scores, perhaps hundreds, of the letters they wrote to each other disappeared into the flames. Only five letters are known to have survived destruction. So it's interesting that, to me, it's in comparison and contrast with with George, what, what Paul Johnson says, that George Washington was very meticulous in the way he saved everything for posterity. He was interested, he thought about people reading about what he did later on, whereas, and whereas Martha was concerned about their privacy. And so, and so by doing that, um, there, there was very, there's very little, that's why a lot of us don't know about Martha. And Patricia Brady worked hard to uh, assemble the biography from, as she said, from fleeting glimpses and from um, descriptions and anecdotes written by relatives and friends. Yeah, I, I think Brady does a great job of giving us the insight, but I, but I just wonder when I when uh, of course we discussed about this discussed this before we you know came came into the studio. But I just wonder how much uh, Martha was probably put off by people like you know Thomas Jefferson, who was really saying some very unkind things about George Washington, you know, at the end of his life. And I just wonder if she thought what would happen if they would get a hold of these letters. You know what would they do with them, and so so in some ways, um, you know it's like the pureness of the very beginning of the American government seemed to like you know the more they got into it, it gradually began to be destroyed by the selfishness of others. And as I was saying in the introduction to this program, I mean, just uh, just look at what's happening in this country today, and uh, you know of course uh, you know President Trump just had his big personal. Uh, you know, talk with the whole nation, and then it's the first time in history I remember that the opposition had to have a. They got to have a their own little television program after that. I mean, that's just like the first time in history, and it just shows the disdain and the, the really the disrespect for the office of president today. And so, so I think there was even some of that even back then, and maybe, maybe Martha was just trying to really, you know keep their privacy and keep, you know, certain things out of history that, you know, could have been used against them and uh, maybe cast a bad light on them. But I know 
when when you read even read Johnston Johnson, uh, you know about George Washington after eight years of the Revolutionary War, and that was really tough times. And uh, Patricia Brady brings it out uh, about Martha being there with him, you know, for five of those eight years of the Revolutionary War, and uh, um, you know they really did. She really sacrificed. She sacrificed a lot, and a lot of the other wives did too. They became well, the daughters of the revolution, and they took care of the soldiers. So so they were really personally into it. And then after two terms of president, I really think George Washington really had enough. <laughs> and I think Martha did too. And I think they hungered for Mount Vernon. And, uh, uh, of course, I think so did Martha. And, uh, you know, in, in some ways I think they, they probably couldn't wait to... Uh, in some ways, get out of office and get out of the public limelight. But I, I, I do want to read just to, to kind of match up with your your um, quote from Patricia Brady. Uh, let me just read to you what what uh, Paul Johnson says about George Washington's final address. And uh, you know, he, he really was kind of ready to get out of of office. This is starting on page 115, and, and here's a paragraph that Paul Johnson writes. He says, referring to the final address, he says, The address was not without a strong religious note. Washington spoke to friends and fellow citizens. He was talking to Congress and through Congress as a body to all the individuals who made up the nation. He said he could not have done what he did to free and build the nation without a consciousness of their support. Profoundly penetrated with this idea, he said, now here's, here's the quote of his final address, I shall carry with me to my grave as a strong incitement to unceasing vows that heaven may continue to you the choicest tokens of its beneficence, that your union and brotherhood affection may be perpetual, that the free constitution which is the work of your hands may be sacredly maintained that its administration in every department may be stamped with wisdom and virtue, that in fine, in the happiness of the people of these states, under the auspices of liberty, may be made complete by so careful and preservative and so prudent a use of this blessing as will acquire to them the glory of recommending it to the applause, the affection, the adoption of every nation which is yet a stranger to it. Now, that was the that was like his final address. So, if you have read all of the book, and again, if you go back and read chapter six, like I recommended, I mean, it's kind of really stinging words to Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, and a, you know, a few of the other guys that gave him so much trouble. And so, um, after giving this address, he was back in Mount Vernon ten days later, <laughs> and so, so he signed off with that. So. Um, unfortunately, uh, we'll talk about this in a minute. Uh, what did they find when they got back home? <laughs> well, they they did find that it was in shambles, but it but it was it was basically, I mean, absence of of owners, you know, is going to lead to deter- deterioration and dilapidation. But they were happy to, to join in and and get to work on it. So, right. so um, I, I think. Uh, Brady brings out a few really interesting things there. Maybe we could talk about this for a while. You know, I think in the past programs, I said there are a lot of people feel that that George wasn't really that religious. Um, 
I don't think he was a real churchgoer. I think, like Ben Franklin, he got tired of, you know, some organized religion. But I still think he was he was a deeply spiritual man and a religious man. And um, uh, I think uh, Brady points this out for us when they got back to Mount Vernon. How did they really view Mount Vernon? I'll just ask you that question. Yes, well, uh, what Patricia Brady says that she mentions that um, they were Bible readers and that there are a couple verses from the Bible that that, that um, w- were in quite a bit of their correspondence. And it's um, uh, from from First Kings, And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree. That's First uh, Kings 4, verse 25. Then also the book of Micah prophesied a day when there would be no more war, and men would beat their swords into plowshares. In the next verse, the peace was described, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. And that's Micah 4, uh, verses 3 to 4. So for a tired old soldier, I'm I'm just still um, reading. reading Patricia Brady, for a tired old soldier who had just returned from eight years of vicious political warfare, the vision of a place where he could sheathe his sword and turn his hand to the plow was pretty close to heaven. Even more so for Martha. As much as George had suffered from the Republicans' newspaper attacks, Martha had suffered twice as much for her husband because she was helpless to protect him. The second term had been hell. <laughs> yes, so so I, I think it's interesting that she says that, that he returned from vicious political warfare. Yes. And so so that, that was really, uh, and we talked a little bit about that the last program, how it got into the newspapers and, you know, it, it, it's really just a replay of what's happening today. And, uh, you know, they accuse the president of lying. And yet, you know, when you really get down to the facts, the papers are lying today. And so so I, I think what's happening to so many people, they just had a thing on the news last night, um, just the local news here in Oklahoma City is, you know, should, uh, the question they asked people was, should the um, the major TV stations have suspended primetime broadcasting to broadcast the president. How you can even ask a question like that is ridiculous. So really, if if uh, George and Martha Washington went through a, a term of hell, so what is President Trump going through? And again, I, I, I don't want to talk politics here, but, it, but he is our president, and it happens to be one of the most powerful offices in the world, and yet the media... And uh, to be opposite, to be honest, the opposite political party seems like they want to destroy it, and uh, you know they accuse him of all kinds of things. So, so I think what, that's exactly what um, Martha and George got tired of there at the end. And uh, you know, his first term, everybody was excited about a new nation, but then essentially, with the tension between Hamilton and Jefferson, then it got into partisanship and factionalism, and. Um, uh, Johnson doesn't give everything from that address, but he really warned about all that before he left for his vine and his victory. But I think it's I think it's really interesting that that um, you know when he returned home. Now Johnson doesn't talk a lot about it, but he does he does tell us uh, you know what his schedule was like, and this so so you can see that um, you know George Washington really really loved farming. I mean, he just, he wanted to dedicate his life to it. 
And uh, even um, even uh, George III asked one of his constituents when America won the Revolutionary War, he asked, so what do you think George Washington's going to do now? And uh, the the uh, attendant or the, the uh, administration uh, minister for the, the George III said, he's going to go home and be a farmer. Mm-hmm. And uh, George III responded with, well, if he does that, he'll be a great man. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, that did not happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, but let me just read to you a little bit of what what his day was like, and then we'll talk about some of the things that Jefferson said about him. Now, this is the old guy, as they started calling him. This is the old man, and I, I forget exactly how old he was at this point. I think he was probably in his early 60s. Yeah, he was just in yeah. the 60s. Yeah, late, yeah. middle, middle, mid maybe, yeah. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I'm not an old man, no. and I'm in my <laughs> mid-60s. I'm going to be 67 in May. I can't believe it. Anyway, but but here's what what um, Johnson says about his workday after he left the, you know, the Revolutionary War and after he left, two terms of service as president. He says, Washington's own day was regular in the extreme. Uh, he rises at 5 a.m., read or write until 7, breakfast of tea and corn muffins spread with butter and honey, then by horse to the endless inspection of fields, return it to dress, dinner, if there were guests, be he chatted to them afterward over a glass of Madeira, then read the newspapers, getting ten in all, and writing letters, tea at seven, then talked till nine, and then bed. <laughs> now, now that uh, that's a pretty hefty schedule, and uh, but but he was a regimented in his schedule. Now, Johnson also goes on to say Jefferson spread the rumor that the old man was senile had been, in fact, since 1793 when they had first quarreled over France. And, of course, we had talked about that in our last program, that, that uh, you know, George Washington was really still pro-British and the British way of doing things. And, of course, Jefferson, being the scholar and intellectual that he was, he liked the French way. And so we have that same situation today, only maybe the, uh, the, the roles are different or the names are different. But here's what Johnson said. But Washington's letters and a mass of other documents show he was sharp, hardworking, and observant right to the end. He had hoped to proceed with his schemes of liberating his slaves. In some cases, he had already done so. He left behind his black slaves in Philadelphia so that they could automatically become free. And then he had plans to uh, to sell out outlying lands. He had you know, he had plans for making more canals. He had plans for, for uh, draining swamps to be better for his land. So that doesn't sound like a guy that's seen out of me. And so, so uh, you know, it seems like um, there for a while, it seems like uh, he really did have an opportunity to, you know, do some things he wanted. But unfortunately, his retirement only lasted, do you know how long? <clears throat> it was at the most three years, not quite even three years. Yeah, yes. three, three right. years. Mm-hmm. Three years. So uh, so uh, maybe you could just talk about Brady's death. I mean, not about Brady. <laughs> yeah. Brady maybe talks you about could George's just, death, yes. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you could talk about George's death that Brady talks about. Yeah. Yes. Well, yes, he... he um, you know, he was he w- would go out and, and um, survey the plantation. One day he went out in December and... Um, 
he it was he was raining. He got he got wet and cold, and he didn't change his damp clothes before dinner. And the next day, he went out in the snow, um, and sleet to mark trees, and it was very very cold. And he was starting to get sick, and but he didn't want to stop. Um, but then so then by that um, that evening, his throat was congested and voice muffled. Anyway, um, Martha got worried, and but she couldn't go go for help until and then the next day. Anyway, they got the doctor, and and at, by that point, he had gotten something. It was either they thought it was either um, some kind of, of throat infection or quinsy that um, would progressively close um, his windpipe so he couldn't breathe. So they tried everything at that point that they did bleeding, <clears throat> bleeding, purging, blistering, all those kind of lovely things. Yeah. But that's what the doctors did. But anyway, he it it says that his jo- his dying was prolonged by his strength and. Um, Basically, he just, it was a long day, and um, when he did finally stop breathing, uh, there was, the assistant was there holding his hand when he died, and she just said, is he gone? And when Lear, Lear, the man who was with them, said yes, and she said, tis well, all is over now, I shall, I shall soon follow him, I have no more trials to pass through. So she, she, she only lasted a little bit longer after that, a few more years. Right. But... Right. She, it was. It was just, uh, and she actually never. Um, it says that the night she night he died, Martha moved into a small third floor bedroom, and closed his study and and the bedroom for good, and never slept in that bed again. So, she just yeah, she, it, she just kind of closed it off and and kind of almost. Well, it sounds like she almost went to just wait for her her time. Her time, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. They they were so involved together. And it doesn't sound like she had this, uh, you know, a lot of, um, you know, weepy emotions. But it, it, it's almost like she recognized that that they accomplished what they needed to accomplish, and his time was done, and and he was in peace. You know, he was he could rest. You know, and so so um, you know, it, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, she she was very family oriented. He was very family oriented. They had a lot of friends. And and I know um, then Brady goes back on the uh, towards the end of the book. She talks about about her death, and uh, you know, I guess I guess she died. How many years later? It was just about. It was just about three years. Three years later. Years later. Mm-hmm. So, but um, you know, it, it's 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 another one of those things that that um, I think people accepted death at that time probably better than we do today. But also, they lived long lives for that time period. I mean, when your when your doctor to cure you is going to start bleeding you, I mean, it surprised more people weren't dead. You know, so so anyway. But go ahead, you could uh, you can talk a little bit more from Brady since you like that book. Well, it's just that she she um, she just started getting getting. It wasn't really a definite sickness, but. Um, uh, and then, but she just—they just knew she was dying, and then it just said that she shortly before before her seventy-first first birthday, she died of old age, weakened by her illness, which was was some kind of stomach thing. They're not—they yeah. don't really exactly say what it was. Um, and they probably she, didn't know. Yes, right. <laughs> and she just died with um, family around her, and 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 um, the person who was there, Thomas Law, said described her attitude as fortitude. And resignation were displayed throughout. She met death as a relief from the infirmities and melancholy, excuse me, melancholy of old age. 
Yes. Yeah, so so in some ways that was the uh when they both died, that was the the end of the uh let's say the um you know the the founding generation of this country. I mean, uh, if you look at it, they they were significant in getting everything started and and uh, of course if you read uh, I mean there's I'm sure there's some other history books that have a little more heat detail than even Johnson, but but they really worked hard to to make sure that this the federal government was set up, and they uh, I mean the fact that I mean George wanted to go home and stay at home right after the Revolutionary War. In fact, he never even wanted to go to the Revolutionary War. So so they had a they had a strength of character, and they really wanted to see it up and running for the benefit of others, not just for themselves. And so so that was really good. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, I will give you some final thoughts from George Washington's life. And remember, our third and final book in this series is Hero, the Life and Legend of Lawrence of Arabia. So we'll be starting to talk about that in a couple weeks. So now you can buy this book at Amazon.com. You can find a used copy of the book at abebooks.com. And, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to JBL at jbl.com. L at PCOG.org. You can also follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. And remember, you can leave me a comment at Facebook. So until next time, keep reading. been listening to just the best literature on trumpet radio 101.3 kpcg streaming online at kpcg.fm and the trumpet.com get ready for months of exciting page turning with jbl's 2019 new season set to begin in the spring in the spring of 2019 a tribute to charles krauthammer we'll be discussing the book things that matter by charles krauthammer in the summer 2019 Three works by Joseph Conrad. We'll be discussing the books Allmeyer's Folly, Heart of Darkness, and Youth. And in the fall 2019, Herman Melville's classic epic Moby Dick. This will be a C-deep analysis of this American epic. Make sure to tune in to just the best literature for an exciting new season of reading and analysis. 